Hello, dear friends. Welcome to Cardiac Radio, Nourishing Our Souls. My name is Sunshine and we are broadcasting live from California, Northern California. Our program is called Life After Life Spirit Reports, which is based on a study of Heaven and Hell by Alan Kardec. In the second half of Heaven and Hell, Alan Kardec gifted us with numerous cases of spirits who were willing to be invoked and reporting back to us as to what the experience is like in the spirit's life. And what is really interesting is it's not only do we learn about the experience they have on the spirit end, but also we get a glimpse of the life that they spent and how that looked like which helps us to reflect back on our own lives and hopefully nourishing our souls and learning of what to do and what to avoid to minimize our suffering and boost our inner our discernment and inner transformation so our current category is suicides and we want to ask one more time, do you think we have the right to take our lives? Alan Kardec wondered about the same thing in question 944 in the Spirits book. And the answer from the illuminated spirits was clearly no, only God has the right to take life. It would be a transgression against God's laws if we took our life or for that matter, if we murdered someone as well. So we're wondering, what do people who are considering or are actually committing suicide, what do they have in common? What are some of the characteristics of those people? Number one, suicides are lacking, lacking courage. Courage to face the pains and trials of their lives. Lack of courage to look at their own inner soul transformation. Not really willing to do the inner transformational work that we are called to do here on planet Earth. Courage comes from the word la cœur which is French, the heart. They're, they're lacking the heart to go through life. Furthermore, suicides are lacking hope. Hope as the divine spark of progress. The knowing that this too shall pass and the law of progress will always propel us forward and we will never get stuck in any situation. May it be ever so, so harsh and demanding on us. And lastly, suicides are often lacking resignation. What is resignation? Resignation, as we learn in, in, in the gospel according to spiritism, is the surrender of the heart. It's linked to the word courage, which is also linked to the heart. So we need to open our hearts, humble ourselves, recognize that there is a higher being and align our worlds, will with God's will. 
So it is resignation, faith, courage, hope, and joy that is missing in those who are committing or playing with the idea of committing suicide. And the interesting thing is, hope, joy, and courage are at the same time the characteristics of those of us or of those people who are disciples of Jesus Christ. So that is the very thing that suicides usually are missing in their lives. So let us today go to another case which we find in the second part of this beautiful book, Heaven and Hell by Ellen Kardec. And our friend today is called simply an atheist. And let me say hello to our community. I see Tony. Hi, Tony. So nice to see you. And then there is, I can't see, Suzanne. Suzanne, hello, friend. Nice, nice to join us. What a blessing to have you here. And please feel free to say hello because I see there are six people and only or seven people and only two are saying hello. It makes it so much more fun when we can say hello to each other and know where we're from so that we can make this intercontinental classroom more alive. And then there is Beth. Hello, Beth Cruz. Thanks for joining. Thanks for saying hello. So if you care to follow along, please go to Heaven and Hell, page 408, The Atheist. So let us see what immortal lessons we can learn tonight. Mr. J.B.D. was an educated man, but saturated to the core with materialistic ideas. So let us already pause. So he was an educated man. We also know he was an atheist, an atheist and educated. So we're reminded of the gospel according to spiritism, like always, and this time chapter seven. Chapter seven is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Why are we drawing a link between education and blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, first of all, what did Jesus mean by being poor in spirit? Poor in spirit is most likely linked to being humble. What Jesus didn't mean is that those who are following him and are looking and finding the kingdom of heaven are unintelligent. That's not what Jesus meant. No, those were not unintelligent, but they were humble, open to the new, open to guidance, open to the recognition of a higher being, someone or something that knew more than they do. And the same applies to us today. If we're humble and we are listening to the teachings of those who know more than we do, then we are humble. And in this particular case, it is about being, recognizing, that there is a higher being like God. And if we're humble, we are capable of aligning our will with God's will. So when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he meant primarily all those who are humble enough to listen to new guidance, which is what he brought to this planet. So we're all 
also reminded of the parable of the rich young man. You may know it. We're going to just quickly summarize it so that we're both, that we're all on the same page. So what was the parable of the rich young man? It was a young man who approached Jesus and said, Jesus, I would like to find eternal life. I would like to find the kingdom of heaven that you are promising. What can I do? I have followed the commandments my whole entire life. What else is missing? And Jesus said, very well, that is very important that you are following the commandments. But what you should do is go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Then follow me. And we're paraphrasing. We're making this a lot shorter than it is. So guess how the young man responded. He said, oh no, I'm not going to do that. And he walked away. So after that, Jesus said, well, dear people, see what happened. And he said the famous line, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So the key word in this parable is, from my perspective, the word possessions. Jesus asked the young man to let go of his possessions. Now we may say, oh, well, you know, I don't have that much. And what did he mean? We're probably thinking of our clothes and maybe of our homes, our car, but there is more to it. Our possessions are also more intangible possessions. Like, for example, you may think in the meantime, what might your possessions be? What might my possessions be that I need to release to be, become more humble? and find the kingdom of heaven inside of me. Well, number one is my own judgments. So judgments are our possessions. All right, I've always been a Republican or I've always been a Democrat. And what my party proclaims is the right path. That's a judgment. And what does it do when I hold on to it tightly enough? It blocks me from all other information, right friends? Another example is my habits. Well, I've always eaten turkey on Thanksgiving. My grandparents did, my great-grandparents did. I'm not gonna give that up. I'm not gonna give it up just to find the kingdom of heaven, whatever that may be anyway. So that will be a habit that I created in this lifetime and I'm so fully attached to it that it blinds me from all other concepts. It blinds me from releasing it. And of course, we also have habits that may have come from previous lifetimes and there may be even more deeply ingrained in us. So it would be advisable for us to look at our habits and see what they are and how we can start wiggling on them so we can release some of the attachments to them. What is another possession? Let us see. There is, for example, the spiritual pride. Oh, my religion is so much better than yours. And my God knows better than yours. And we know history is filled with religious wars 
because of that because of my religion is better than yours and we always have to guard ourselves against that even us who are following or who call ourselves spiritists right and then there are the academic distinctions ah i am the professor and chairman of the largest hospital in new york city so now a doctor approaches me and gives me an idea of how to do something differently or maybe some new piece of information and I'm completely blocked because my pride does not allow me to see other people's input. I've lost humility because I am so educated. I, am, I know so much. I think I know so much. The first time around, I read the book and Life Goes On by Andre Louise. I was struck by something. And that was when Evelina and Ernesto reach the spirit life and they're confused, not knowing whether they're alive, so, so to speak, alive or dead, whether they've died. All the instructors and people and spirits they encounter only teach them one step more and one, never the whole picture. And if we reflect that back to us on planet Earth, one of the instructors in this book actually points out that we on planet Earth all we know is what people have found out before us. There is very few of us that have actually come up or found out something that is brand new. So all of our academic or most of our academic accolades, all our titles are primarily based on information that people before us have established and we have studied it and now made it our own, and that is what we're building our pride on. So it is something to consider that, as the spirits in the spirit book so often point out to us, you people on earth don't know everything. As a matter of fact, you know very little. So it is always good for us to allow that possession to be shed. And of course, selfishness is another attachment is another possession where we think we are more important than others it also may um, show itself up as fear of personal uh, or public ridicule so i think we're getting the idea those are the possessions that we may carry and as a therapeutic question for us today is where what are my possessions and to make a list and to start crossing them out, taking out the eraser and erasing them, starting to release them because that will block us. And it blocked our friend, the atheist. He was not willing to recognize that there was a God and yet he was very educated, which is the interesting thing. So during Jesus's times, it was Primarily the unlearned, the ones that were not blocked by a lot of knowledge who followed Jesus. They were open, humble, and willing to learn the new. There is a chapter in the Gospel according to Spiritism in the same chapter 7 that, the, um, that we are just discussing. And it is a, an article by a spirit called Ferdinand. And let us go to that because he is finding out for us 
What is the mission of those of us who are intelligent and learned and educated? We have a mission. There is, it's, there's nothing wrong with education. As a matter of fact, education, knowledge is very important. And as Emmanuel in Thought and Life teaches us, there are two wings for the birds to soar. There are two wings for us, for our inner transformation, for our progress. One is our intellectual knowledge and the other one is our moral education. So both are very important. So there is nothing wrong with education, with knowledge, with knowing a lot for being intelligent and educated. It is what we do with it. That is the question. If we use it as pride, to be, become prideful and selfish about it, if it becomes a possession that blocks us from following Jesus, from being humble, then we have a problem. But Ferdinand in chapter 7 helps us to understand what our mission is when we are educated. You can find him on page 146. Let's see. We're not going to read the whole explanation by Ferdinand, but it will give us a very good glimpse of what our duty is. What are we supposed to do with our intelligence? Do not pride yourself on what you know, he says, because such knowing has very narrow limits in the world on which you dwell. And we know that by now, right, friends? So if God gifted us with intelligence, it is for us to use it. And what are we using it for? We're using it for the good of all. And that is our key for tonight. So all of our education, our knowledge, our intelligence, we need to give and use for the good of all. We need to be charitable with it. We need to share what we do, what we're knowing and what we've studied. We cannot be misers of knowledge. That is our invitation. And we could make that another question to soul search and meditate upon. Are we using our intelligence and our knowledge for the common good? Let us meditate on this for the coming week, friends. So let us see, what else is he saying? Um, he gives us a really good analogy. He says, if the gardener gives the helper a hoe, then the helper, the gardener's helper, is expected to use the hoe for this gardening job. If, however, this guy, this helper, now uses the hoe and raises it up against the gardener, we cry abuse. You can't do that. And we fire the helper. Well, Aren't we doing the same thing if we're not sharing our knowledge? Are we not the helpers who were giving the hoe of knowledge, the, the hoe of intelligence, and now we're raising our intelligence up against God and say, you don't exist, I know better. We may be doing the same thing. And our invitation today is to share our knowledge, friends. You can read the full story that Ferdinand, the, the whole expose that Ferdinand is giving us on page 146 in the Gospel According to Spiritism. So friends, let us see. Um, 
Let us continue with our friend, the atheist. Let's see. So he was educated. He was an atheist. And he had lots of materialistic ideas. He had those possessions that blocked him from recognizing that there was a power greater than him. He believed neither in God nor the existence of the soul. At the request of a relative, he was evoked at the Spiritist Society two years after his death. So two years after his death. And he's being asked how he's feeling. And he says, I'm suffering. I'm a reprobate. And then he says, how are you feeling? He says, very pain-filled. I'm painful. My existence is painful. And then he is being asked whether his death, remember he is a suicide, was intentional. And the answer is yes. So he intentionally took his life and he is suffering, like most suicides, like all suicides. And the small print, in, in the small print, Alan Kardec tells us, the spirit writes with extreme difficulty. The handwriting is large, irregular, shaky, and almost illegible. At the outset, he shows his anger by breaking the pencil and tearing the paper. So our friend is suffering. He is angry. He's frustrated. He's a hard time writing. writing. We wonder why. Well, he went against God's will and took his life. And when we do that, there is always more suffering awaiting us. So what motive did you have for killing yourself? And the answer is weariness of a life without hope. Friends, let us pause again. We learned that hope, hope is the divine impetus of progress. Through hope, we're learning, we're realizing that there is a law of progress, that we are never stuck. So no matter how painful and challenging our life situation may be, this too shall pass, as the law of progress will always help us and propel us forward. Yes, we are co-creators of God and we do need to do our share, but we will never get stuck. And even if we think we're rolling backwards, even if we think the world is coming apart, which some of us may be tempted to consider these days, we are always moving forward. There's actually one question that Alan Kardec asks in the Spirit's book about that. And the Spirit's answer is like, friends, just see it see all the challenges as a pebble under a huge cart. The cart will always move forward. The pebble has no power to stop the, from the progress from happening. So we are invited to have hope always. And we know that hope is one, one of the criterion that we as followers of Jesus always have because we know where we came from why we're here and where we're going and we know that the law of progress will always propel us forward so when we go to chapter 19 in the gospel according to spiritism which is the beautiful chapter on faith moves mountains we learn more about hope first of all 
here we learn that faith is a mother. Did you guys knew that? Know that? Faith is a mother. And faith as a mother has two children. What are the children of faith? Do you have any idea, friends? Well, it is for one, hope. So hope's mother is faith. And what is the second child's name? Charity. So the two children of faith, which is the mother, are hope and charity. Those are its children. And in order for us to have faith, we always are asked to be humble. And the faith that we're having, is that blind faith? No, friends, we are invited to always have reasoned faith. We're always invited to use our reason, our light of discernment, which is spiritism, so that we know whether the faith actually makes sense to us. So now hope, which is the divine spark of progress, its mother is faith and its sister or brother is charity. That is the divine triangle, hope, faith, and charity. Isn't it beautiful, friends? So he was lacking hope and why, what happened as a result of him lacking hope? We can guess. Alan Carter gifts us with a small print, an explanation that we are going to read now. One thinks, he says, about suicide when life is hopeless, and we can imagine that, right? One also wants to escape unhappiness at any price. With spiritism, the future unfolds and hope is legitimized, leaving suicide without purpose, because we understand now that we as a soul have eternal lives, that we will come back, that the law of progress never lets us get stuck, that we always are co-creators of God. We also are realizing that suicide never will help us get out of the situation that we're trying to escape. As a matter of fact, by knowing that we have many, many lifetimes, we know that the so-called death of our physical form is but a door and we will be the same on the other side. We will not have gained anything ever by taking our physical shell away. So one realizes that through suicide, one does not escape an evil, but falls into another one a hundred times worse. In the beautiful book, of the memoirs of a suicide, we learn about several cases of men who committed suicide and they're beautifully described of what happens after suicide is committed. Much more in detail than what Alan Kardec, who gifted us with an immense amount of knowledge about suicides, for example. But that particular book goes even deeper. So we warmly recommend it. It's a beautiful book. 
Hi, Teresa. I'm seeing more friends. I didn't see you guys. I'm so sorry, Lisa Telly. So nice to have you here. And Karina Lisi, wonderful. And Teresa, thank you, dear friend. I love the rainbows. And then there is Denida Moore and dear friend Carol Cohea. So lovely to have you here. Thank you, friends. So let us go, let us continue. That is why spiritism already has saved so many victims from committing intentional death. Extremely guilty are those who through scientific sophism and the so-called name of reason endeavor to believe in the desperate idea, the source of so many crimes and evils, that everything ends at death. And as we learned earlier, with our knowledge, we are invited. The proposal is for us to share the knowledge we have so that we too may be helpful for those to those who might consider taking their lives. And that is part of our invitation. It's part of our divine duty to share the information that we have. Now let us look at sophism. What does Alan Kardec mean by scientific sophism. So he said again, extremely guilty are those who through scientific sophism teach that everything ends at death. We looked up this word in order to shed a little more light on what he means by that. So sophism is based on, it's actually defined as a fallacious argument. Fallacious means based on mistaken beliefs. So Sophism is an argument that is basically based on mistaken beliefs used to deliberately deceive. That is the definition that we find online in the Webster Merriman um, Dictionary. So it is an argument that is mistakenly believed and it's actually used to deliberately deceive. And a sophist, the history of a sophist goes back to the ancient Greece in the fourth and fifth century before Christ. And they were teachers and they used the tools of philosophy and rhetoric. And they made good things about, good points about certain things, but these points they made were never entirely true. We may be reminded of some political figures or some politicians in this world, right friends? So this is what Alan Kardec describes as the scientific sophism. So these are, this is knowledge that's being passed on that's not entirely true. And we know it's not true because everything does not end with death. And thank God for and thank you Jesus and all the good spirits and Alan Kardec and all the beautiful mediums who gave us this immortal wisdom of knowing that we're mortal souls and that we have a life before our current incarnation. We know the purpose of our incarnation and we know where we're going after this incarnation. And that gives us hope and that gives us peace and courage. It gives us joy and it gives us encouragement to go through the vicissitudes in our lives of everyday life. 
So then he says they will be responsible not only for their own errors, errors, those sophists, but also for all the evils they have caused. We know from the Spirit's book when Alan Kardec asks, are we um, only guilty of all the evil we're doing? And then we're learning that actually we're guilty also for the evil that for, for the good we have left undone. So that is kind of like along those lines. So these sophists, they may have believed in it, but whatever evil they've caused along the lines of shedding those untruthful truths, they believed they were truths, they will be guilty. They will be they will be held accountable for that. So then our friend is being asked the next question. Where did you get the materialistic ideas you had when alive? So why were you a materialist? And why did you not believe in God? You were educated, right? Our atheist was an educated man. And the answer is, in a previous existence, I was evil and my spirit was condemned to suffer the torments of uncertainty throughout my life. That is why I killed myself. So this is an interesting twist, which will now be further explained by Alan Kardec in the small print, because we're learning that our atheist actually received this challenge from a previous incarnation where he had not done good. He says that he was an evil spirit, an ignorant spirit at the time. And now let us see why that turned him into why he had the challenges this lifetime as a result of being a materialist. There is a whole corollary of ideas here, Alan Kardec teaches us. We often ask how they can be materialists because having passed through the spirit world, they should therefore have an intuition about it, right? So we're wondering, a materialist who's been through the spirit world Shouldn't they know better? Shouldn't they know that there are many lifetimes because they've gone through it already? But now we're learning what this particular case, and every case is different, and we have to really remember that, that things are much more complicated than we might think, and every individual has a different situation. So here it is. Well, it is precisely this intuition that is denied to some spirits. So it is the intuition that he refers to that there is a spirit life, that there is no such thing as materialism only. So that intuition, he says, is precisely the one that is denied to some spirits who have preserved their pride and have not repented of their wrongs. Their trial consists in acquiring during corporeal life and through their own reasoning, proof of the existence of God and the future life. So this is a little complicated. So our friend, the atheist, was ignorant in a previous lifetime, denying the existence of God. Yes, he realized that in his life after life, after that previous incarnation. He reincarnated with the challenge of again having to find out the truth of the existence of God. That was his particular challenge in this lifetime that he cut short. 
and couldn't master as a result, ultimately, of not recognizing that there is a God. So what held him back? Of course, it was pride. Why would pride be such a big hindrance for him? Well, pride, as we are all challenged with that on this life, in, in on this earth, and we know from Alan Crotic asking the question to the spirits on high is what are the biggest challenges? What is the biggest challenge for people on earth, for us humans on earth? It's selfishness and pride, which is at the same time also the antidote to all charity, which is defined as benevolence towards all, indulgence towards other people's imperfections, and the forgiveness of trespasses. So pride, which blocked our friend, it is the root cause of all evil, right? It fosters in us. Why is it the root cause of all evil? Because it fosters in us hatred, envy, lust, it can lead to murder and, of course, we know, to suicide because we cannot acknowledge that we are not right. We cannot acknowledge that there is a higher being because we're the all-knowing, the best. And consequently, pride blocks us from being open. We cannot be poor in spirit, which is how we started off today when we are prideful it allows us to hang on to our possessions that we listed earlier pride always finds expression in selfishness selfishness and pride feed each other and pride also leads to disobedience now we embark on a power in a power struggle because we cannot listen to others' guidance, because we're the best. We know better. Was Jesus prideful? No, we know that, right? Jesus was the epitome of humility. He displayed it after the last or during the Last Supper. What did he do as the prime example of humility? He washed the disciples' feet. Now let us imagine this for a moment. The governor of this planet, the governor, the one who runs and rules it all, goes on his knees and washes the feet, the dirty feet, not the clean feet of us today because we have beautiful shoes on all day long. No, these were dusty, dirty feet of his disciples. It's beautiful, friends, right? It is something to keep in our minds always when we run up against people who we have issues with or situations that are challenging us to remember what Jesus did, washing his disciples' feet. So it was pride that allowed him not, it allowed him to be a materialist. It allowed him not to recognize that there was a God and that caused him so much pain that at the end he took his life. What else is he saying? Often, however, so I'm repeating this. Um, 
Their trial consists, so our friend's trial consists in acquiring during corporeal life and through their, his own reasoning, his own reasoning, proof of the existence of God and the future life that they have incessantly in front of them. And our friend was not capable of doing that. So he caused himself a lot more pain. Often, however, their self-conceit at not believing in anything above themselves, which is pride, prevails and they must endure grief until their pride is overcome and they finally surrender to the evidence. So our invitation tonight is to work on our humility, to make a list of our possessions that foster pride in us and to meditate on our prime possession and be invited to work on releasing it. Friends, it is a beautiful gift that we have received tonight. We will be completing our study with our atheists for tonight. This is a much longer case and we will continue with it next week. Next week, his brother will be invoked and more will be happening. But for tonight, we're wrapping it up with a prayer. And you are invited to please close your eyes if you can, unless you're driving or operating machinery, as they say. And let us open our hearts and connect with God, our benevolent God, who is omnipresent, always surrounding us, always dwelling inside of us, and our guide and model, Jesus Christ, who came to this planet to model the virtues for us to show us what true humility and dedication to God looks like. And we were gifted with the knowledge and the opportunity of this incarnation to practice his teachings. We're also extending our gratitude to Mother Mary who dedicated her life, her spirit life, to helping in, to running and helping the valley of suicides, the spirits who have erred and took their lives. We're eternally grateful for tonight's lesson to remember our possessions and the invitation to release them to release our pride, to release our selfishness. We're praying for the light of discernment that Spiritism has come and gifted us with to grow in our being. We pray that we will become more charitable every single day. We pray that we will become more benevolent, extending our goodwill, our knowledge, 
and all of our gifts to those who are in need. And we're praying that we will be forgiving towards those who have trespassed against us. And we're asking for support to be more indulgent with other people's imperfections. And please let us remember, remind us that all of this starts in our thinking. We're asking for protection for the week to come so that we may tread lightly on this planet, always looking to do the good, to seek the good, to feel the good, and to mold the good with all the resources we have at hand. And so be it, dear friends. Thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure to have you. And so God willing, we'll meet again next week, same time, with the continuation of our friend, the atheist. God bless you, dear friends. Good night.